You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Probably somewhere in your home, you have a nativity set set up. That includes baby Jesus, the mother Mary, and his adoptive father, Joseph. Well, we're going to jump right in and mostly talk this morning about Mary and the virgin birth. Because the virgin birth is the second most controversial and debated issue, miracle, in all of human history. The most debated is the resurrection of Jesus, which happens at Easter, and really we celebrate every Sunday. But the Christmas birth is the second most debated because not everyone believes in the virgin birth of Jesus. Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to John Adams in 1823 in which he says this, and I've got the quote for you. The day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus by the supreme being as his father in the womb of a virgin, in other words, the virgin birth, will be classed with a fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. Virgin birth, a fable. Some say that Thomas Jefferson was a Christian. I don't think he was. He was a deist, which means he had a belief in God, but he literally took a razor and cut out in his Bible all the miracles of Jesus. Basically, what he's saying is, I look forward to the day when everybody realizes that the virgin birth of Jesus is just a crazy fairy tale and has no grounding in reality. Was Jesus born of a virgin and why does it matter? Well, to answer this, we're going to look at Scripture, what it says, what it doesn't say. And first, we look at the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, written roughly 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And here in Isaiah 7.14 is one of the most compelling, illuminating texts that emphatically declares the virgin birth of Jesus. Isaiah 7:14 says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign." So he's he's speaking here about the coming of the Messiah, the savior, that God would have with his coming a sign to point to. That's what a sign does, right? It points to something. That there would be a sign pointing to Jesus to make sure that no one misses this that we would be assured this is the one we've been waiting for. Well, what is that sign? He says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God, come down from heaven to be with us. Here's the prophecy. A virgin will give birth to a son. It will be God, come down to earth to be with us. Now, This is hotly debated on two fronts. First, some who oppose the virgin birth see this verse not pointing to Jesus coming 700 years later. They see it instead as an immediate prophecy of someone born in that day and time, 700 years earlier than Jesus. Well, guess what? Both of them are true. This prophecy, like many others, has a dual fulfillment. It's a now and in the future kind of thing. 
So if you look at the context of the entire Isaiah chapter 7, God is speaking to Ahaz, the king over Judah. And what he says through Isaiah, God says to King Ahaz, you will have a son. But at the same time, he's also speaking further into history through the line of the house of David, this prophecy that God's people, the Jewish people will have a son as well. The difference will be that Ahaz's son will be a king. His, his name is Hezekiah. But that king is not going to be enough. There will still come a greater king. Ahaz's son Hezekiah will rule over a kingdom. But Jesus will come as the king of kings ruling over all kingdoms. Ahaz will have a son, but that son won't be able to take away sin, won't be able to redeem people, reconcile them to God, bring peace on the earth. That king isn't going to be enough. They need another king. And there will be another king coming in the future, down the corridor of time, that being Jesus Christ, born of the virgin, Jesus being God with us. So there is a dual fulfillment here. King Ahaz will have a son, but that son is not going to change the world. That son is not going to fix the sin problem. There needs to be another king, Emmanuel. God coming down to rule and to reign, to bring nations together, to overcome sin and reconcile us to God. Two chapters later, in Isaiah 9, the same writer, speaking the same series of prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, sheds a little bit more light on the virgin birth. It starts this way in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born. So we're looking for a baby. To us a son is given. He is to be a male child. And the government, not a government, the government will be on his shoulders. He will rule over all governments, not just one nation. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So you know this isn't Ahaz's son. No one is going to worship Hezekiah as God. So the son will be Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. His rule will be forever over all the nations. He will reign on David's throne. So he will be descended through the Jewish people from the line of David. And over his kingdom, over David's kingdom, over all of, the, of God's people, establishing and upholding it, with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This king will be forever. An eternal king. Not just a king who lives and dies like all the other kings. But this king will live, will die, but will rise, will reign forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It will be a miracle. So, to be clear, from Isaiah 7, 14, 
Jesus' mother will be a virgin and that he will be Emmanuel, God with us. And then from Isaiah 9, even clearer, that he would be the mighty God, an unending rule, that he would be the forever King of kings, Lord of lords over all nations of the earth. So the prophecy is both. Ahaz will have a son, but it's also to the Jewish people that Jesus is coming, born of a virgin. Now, this leads us to the second point of contention, which is this. Is Isaiah speaking of just a young woman or a virgin? Because the Hebrew word can mean either one. It can mean a young woman or it can be translated virgin, chaste, pure. So let me come at this from a couple of angles. Because we clearly, emphatically believe that this is prophesying that a virgin will give birth The first thing I would say is this, if it's not a virgin birth, then why is it in scripture to point it out? I mean, if it's just a young woman, then there's nothing really super about that because that's not a surprise. A woman had a baby. The second thing is just because it can mean young lady doesn't rule out the fact that this isn't also a virgin because you see in that culture, Those two things were synonymous. I mean, we're looking at a day when the dad really ruled over the family. And if he loved his children, especially his daughters, he would love them to the point of protecting their chastity and purity. And there were Old Testament provisions, commands, that if she goes out and commits sexual sins, she, as a young, unmarried woman could be killed at his doorstep. So he's keeping an eye on her, right? They didn't have GPS, but this is basically, he's looking, uh, he's hovering over. This is the first helicopter dad. Keeping an eye on his daughters. And a woman like that, brought up in a devoutly religious home, and you ask, okay, well, is she a young woman or is she a virgin? She better be both. Then to shed even more light on this, we move into the New Testament. And we're going to see where Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9 get fulfilled in both Matthew and Luke. Matthew, by the way, is a Jewish man writing to a Jewish audience, teaching them that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. promises. He is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. Here's Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Pledged to be married. Other translations may say betrothed. Engaged is the modern equivalent. What it means is that there's a ring on the finger, there's a date on the calendar, we're getting married. But, goes on to say, before they came together... Before they had any physical relations. So what does that make Mary? A virgin. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Okay, which is a miracle. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her 
quietly. You see, betrothed in that culture was as binding of a legal contract that you would actually have to go through a divorce to end the engagement, even though you had not yet consummated the marriage. So, all right, any of you young men, try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You're waiting to be married. You're looking forward to being married. You find this young girl. She loves the Lord. You're excited. She's cute. You dig her. It's awesome. And she comes to you and says, we're expecting. (laughs) You're like, I've never even been with you. We're not expecting anything. So now she's got a couple of options. He does. I'm sorry. Joseph does. He can divorce her. But to do so, he has to declare publicly why. So what does he know at this point? Well, she's been sexually active, committed adultery. And and what could possibly happen to her at this point? What What is the consequence? They could stone her to death. But he thinks... You know, I, I love her. I, I don't want her to tie. She's cheated on You see the dilemma he's in. How does he get through this in a kind and honorable way? So as he's wrestling with all that, here's the next verse. Verse 20. After he had considered this, all of this wrestling in his mind, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It is a miracle. The angel continues, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is really taking a weird twist for Joseph. He's like, okay, my fiance, whom I've never even kissed, basically, she's pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be savior of the world. I'm a simple carpenter. <laughs> this is a lot to take in. Next verse. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Which prophet? Isaiah. What chapter? 7. What verse? 14. Matthew quotes it. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And then he puts in the parentheses, which means God with us. The virgin. Oh, that's Mary. All promised by Isaiah, the eternal God will come down in the person of Jesus Christ through the womb of the Virgin Mary. That was in the dream. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son And he gave him the name Jesus. Let's jump to Luke chapter 1, the other recording of the birth of Jesus. You know, that's in Luke 1 and 2. We'll save Luke 2 for next weekend. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a, what's the word, (laughs) virgin, 
pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. This is all echoing Isaiah 7, 14. The angel went to her and said, this is verse 28, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Ladies, can you blame her? You're engaged to be married. Maybe late teens is what Mary is in age. And an angel's going to come to you and say, You're pregnant. You say, No. The dress isn't going to fit. My dad's going to freak out. My boyfriend's going to dump me. This is not what I was hoping for. I mean, how many of you ladies, if God came to you and said this to you, you would not be like, yes, Lord. You're like, I don't have elastic in the waistband. <laughs> uh-uh. This is not a good idea, God. Story continues. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's all Isaiah 9 that we just saw. Next verse, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. She's a what? A virgin. It's pretty clear. And so she's basically saying, virgins don't have babies. Look, I may be young, but I at least know this much. How is this going to happen? It goes on. The angel answered. The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And what does Mary say? I am the Lord's servant. This is a godly teenager. I trust you, Lord. My fiance might dump me. My parents might freak out. Everybody may think I'm a tramp. My wedding dress isn't going to fit. They may even seek to stone me. Lord, whatever you want, I trust you. She has great faith. And she concludes this, this way. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. In summary, here's what scripture says. Sin has come into human history. But Satan and sin will be conquered By the coming of Jesus, born of a woman, she will be a virgin mother. His name is Emmanuel. 
He will be the mighty God, the king of kings over all inhabitants of the earth. This will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is what scripture says. We have to ask, why does it matter? Why do we have to hold on to the virgin birth of Jesus? I I can tell you one reason why we want to try to get rid of the virgin birth of Jesus, because those who come at us, and when we're trying to talk to somebody who comes from a more naturalistic, scientific viewpoint, um, who only see this creation as a closed system of cause and effect, they don't leave any room for God to break in, to do anything supernatural, to do anything miraculous. kind of feel a little goofy telling them what you believe. Well, the virgin had a baby. Yeah, okay, let me guess. He rode on a unicorn and he lived in a tree with elves that made cookies. Well, I'll tell you. The virgin had a child and he grew up to commit no sin perform miracles, walk on water, feed thousand with a little boy's lunch, was killed. Three days later, he rose. He conquered sin and death. He is the Lord God Almighty. That's what I believe. And some would say, well, why, why can't we just get rid of that? That sounds so silly. What, what would we lose? Here's why we need to hold on to the virgin birth. Number one. Scripture says Jesus was born of a virgin. I mean, there are a lot of things that God tells us in Scripture. But God, in saying this, is saying something we need to know. What God says in Scripture is he has determined that we need to know. And if God thinks it's important enough to say it, then we've got to think it's important enough to say it. Furthermore, there is a thread that runs from the Old Testament to the New Testament And it's summarized in Galatians 4.4, which reads this way. When the time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. When the time had fully come, God was going to be born through a woman as a human. What that's referring to, what Galatians, what the Apostle Paul in writing that is referring to as a sign. Isaiah told us that there would be a sign pointing to Jesus. It's like a neon arrow there at the manger. Okay, don't miss this. The virgin birth. This is what we really got to pay attention to. We can't miss this sign. Mary gives birth to Jesus. She knows it's a miracle that she participated in. She raises Jesus and she can testify that he is without sin. I mean, if there is anyone who would know whether or not Jesus was somebody who was a sinner, his mom would know, right? When Jesus asked as an adult, well, who can prove me of sin? I never read, never saw where his mom said, What are you talking about, Jesus? Without sin. Go to your room. I don't care if you're 33 without sin. What nonsense is that? She sees him perform miracles. 
She sees him heal people. She sees him feed people. She sees him raise the dead. She sees him die. She knows the tomb where he is laid. When he rises from death, she sees the empty tomb. And eventually she sees him alive, having conquered sin and death as he promised So much of this story hinges on Mary's testimony, on her credibility as a godly young woman. The final portrait we see of Mary in all of Scripture is in Acts 1.14 in the early church, praying to Jesus, singing to Jesus as he has ascended into heaven. She is worshiping her son as the Savior God. Someone says, well, what if Mary's not a virgin? What do we lose? Here's what we lose. We lose her testimony. We lose her credibility. The only alternate explanation is that she was a tramp running around on Joseph, coming up with this crazy big lie to make him want to marry her and raise a child he didn't father. No, Mary was a godly woman. She loved the Lord. Mary did tell the truth. Jesus' birth is miraculous. It's, it's unprecedented. It's a sign. Joseph's mother is not the object of our faith, but she is a tremendous example of faith. A teenager preparing for her wedding says, Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you want, I trust you. She sings a song of worship and praise, and she entrusts herself, her child, and her future to God. Mary is not the object of our faith. Jesus is. But what a shining example of faith. She trusted God even when her circumstances didn't merit it. So the position... Of scripture. The position of our church is that Mary is a wonderful woman who is a truth teller, who is a God worshiper, who worships her son Jesus as one of the first Christians. If he had sinned, she would have known about it. If he had not been born of a miracle, she would have told us. Had he not risen from death, she would have said it. Here is this credible, godly, devout woman. She's not sinless, only Jesus is. But here's what makes that even cool. It shows that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is willing to work through and with sinners like Mary, like you, like me. He is Emmanuel, God with us. By the miracle of the Holy Spirit, Mary gave birth to Jesus. By the power of that same Holy Spirit, Jesus gives new birth to us. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. So let me tell you how to respond. Because it's about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. You need a Savior. We all do. And we give our sins to Jesus in prayer. 
thanking him for his life, burial, resurrection that conquers sin and death. And then we, we respond to him by giving and by singing. You know, there was giving and there was singing around the birth of Jesus. And we sing today to a Jesus who is alive and reigning and we join our voice with the chorus of angels who are always singing his praise 24-7. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.